Warning, this episode contains spoilers for the following. When Marnie was there, Sherlock, the first episode of Riverdale, and the most recent season of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It also contains excessive use of the word problematic. And welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, upside down chimney sweep, Steel. And I'm Jade, a person of specific mannerisms, Rose. <laughs> and today we're talking about the phenomena of queer baiting. A good, breezy, emotionless topic that I'm sure in no way that either of us are going to get angry about. <laughs> also known as bait and switch. Wikipedia describes it as when homoerotic tension occurs in media between two characters to attract more liberal and queer viewers, but with the intention of their sexuality never being revealed to be anything other than straight. Um, to elaborate a bit on that, within the text, it can take uh, explicit forms, uh, such as a relationship being commented on by an outside character and people just laughing at others, making a joke, um, reducing the idea of a queer relationship to nothing more than such. Which, can I just say, never happens in real life. Mm. I never get people miss... I don't ever have, uh, you know, nice, liberal, nice, left-minded people thinking accidentally that we're a couple. More often than not, people Mm. think that's the last... You know, don't even consider that. See, witness the gal pal phenomenon. Yeah, it, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can be implicit within the story, whether it's how the scene might be read with the exact same actions and dialogue if it was between a man and a woman. Um, deliberately framing interactions between characters of the same gender as you would characters of an opposite gen- of sorry, of different genders. Um and giving it that same sort of emotional weight and treatment. Uh, Sometimes it could be ambiguous lines that are left open to interpretation, Uh, choices by the actor who maybe views the text a certain way differently to the writers. It could be just latent chemistry between performers that have read a certain way. Uh, Sometimes we're talking about externally um, when which is a point we're going to go into more detail in a bit, where they'll say, oh, you don't know, this this toying, this tempting of the characters might be, or when they're created a certain way and then it's denied. It's it's a big, big, big phenomenon. And I think one of the things we want to clear up about this is specifically what is queer baiting and um, what's the difference between queer baiting and A, just homophobic storytelling, mm-hmm. um, or B, censored queer relationships, where the only way their relationship can be portrayed within this text, for whatever reason, is through subtle use of quote coding and ambiguous dialogue, um, but then is confirmed later by the creators. Um, an ex- a good example of this uh, would be like maybe Korasami. Yes. In, In the Legend of Korra, um, you could say it's queer baiting in the sense that um at the end of the show spoilers but i feel we're almost past that with Mm -hmm. anyone who cares knows yeah um 
the characters of Korra and Asami walk off into effectively the, the sen- effectively the sunset holding hands, which deliberately mirrors the final shots of the previous Avatar series of mm-hmm. the male and female characters holding hands at the end, but they kiss, mm-hmm. whereas Korra and Asami don't. You could say that that is queer baiting. However, however, when the creators instantly the day it happens explicitly say no no these are our, our intentions this is what we're reading these characters are canonically this when you're making a show for children's media for reasons we will probably get into later um you do seem to be less able to um tell this hmm. and i think queer baiting one of the reasons uh, why it's a slightly more recent phenomena and why it's um something we talk about a lot now is that most shows we talk about having queer baiting are in a platform or channel or for an ad- audience group where having same sex relationships is okay and fine. Yeah, no, definitely. It's just they refuse not to mm-hmm. benefit from it. Uh, yeah, uh, before we talk too much about queer baiting, though, I do want to address uh, queer coding uh, because while queer coding can be used as a tool, Within arguably within the phenomena of queer baiting, it is very much its own thing that is a precursor, as it were. Um, a queer coding is when a character who is given traits commonly associated with queer people, but is not explicitly stated to be queer. The most frequent example of this um, is done with villains and antagonists in order to contrast with the almost universally straight and cis heroes um frequently it is a case to mark them as something other something deviant or untoward because that was the association people had with people uh, with queer people and those traits were considered undesirable so by putting those traits on your villainous characters you would mark them as other and strange the same thing happens with um race and um with anti-Semitic portrayals. Which um, is true. But the associations from our history mm. of what is bad and wrong yes. have found themselves through many iterations and through much development in recent films still coming out. Yeah. The like, things we associate... It's, it's got a horrifying legacy that continues to this day. And the, the queer traits um, <coughs> are often things like uh, vanity... Um, Feminist, uh, uh, being effeminate, being effeminate, um, and um, uh, flamboyant, mm-hmm. uh, materialistic, mm-hmm. all these essentially all the bad traits people have about women, mm-hmm. but put on male characters mm-hmm. um, because for some reason back in the day people didn't really know the difference. <laughs> uh, this is also true of uh, those that that's what you would see with male characters. Uh, mm. um, female characters, you would have a very Butch, very severe mm. uh, women uh, who hate men. Yeah, short hair, wearing trousers. You mm. know, one of those that kind of thing. But um, shirts and trousers, girls. <laughs> shirts and trousers, girls. Um, I believe it's shirts and trousers, females. Sorry, so just to make it that extra flavour of uncomfortable. Actually, that's a good point to say that um, our little mm. titles today mm-hmm. and what we're talking about now uh, are products of the Hayes Code, which um, from 1930 to 1968. There was a legal ban on queer characters or any explicit reference to homosexuality in Hollywood. Um, 
a really good thing to uh, watch slash read if you want to learn more about sort of queer coding and the Hayes Code is uh, The Celluloid Closet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the documentary. I've not read the film, but it's super informative, also kind of depressing. Yeah. I say kind of depressing, really depressing. But when we talk about queer representation in the media, it is... I cannot recommend it enough uh, to sort of understand where we're coming from um, as and a community. We're not, and we're not just whining. And, when, and the fact when, that we when, aren't just fucking when whining, we have excuse a, me. When, when we were actually banned from being yes, in things... We were not allowed to be seen. Um, it's not us just banging our sort of toys and wanting... Helmet, like yeah. Bart Simpson saucepan on the head... <laughs> So uh, wooden spoon on the other. We are not a Simpsons podcast. We are not a Simpsons podcast. Um, but no, it's interesting um, because we're saying when we weren't allowed to be seen, uh, gay, gay and queer creators, the only way that they could represent themselves in media was through villainous characters. And also, like also coding. So I wanted to just, before I talk about one example. Um, there are all these strange phrases and um, <laughs> euphemisms for sexuality for both men and women. There's a slight crossover. There's a lot of ones about talking about having spare change yeah. or um, giving too much change for a dollar. Yeah, that was the one for gay men. And then it was just like, and for women, it was carries change in her pockets. Yeah. So there's things like, where's a hat of someone else's choosing? Mm-hmm. Um, I like... A gal with her own library card got me. <laughs> And, like, they're kind of interesting because you can tell some of them fall into the category of um, an unruly, a, a rude person, a, a creep or whatever. Party with an open guest list. <laughs> a party of an open guest list is a good one. And wears a light wristwatch. Um, <laughs> but there's definitely some which feel like they're coming from a kind of... Place of affection? Place of affection or a place of, like, identifying each other. Yeah. There's a very famous one, which is a friend of Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... I think comes more from mm-hmm. people trying to find out each other and use coding to find each other. Yeah. Um, an example I always think of when I think of queer coded villainy, which I think we will do a whole episode about, um, is uh, a film I really like, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, obviously made during sort of the Hayes Code, mm-hmm. um, was actually directed by a gay man mm-hmm. um, and is all about that. It's all about, um, you know this man this frankenstein he can't exist if he doesn't have a woman that makes no sense Mm. um and there's a character called dr pastorius who is one of the most strange and uh (laughs) obviously queer coded characters that would inhabit the silver spleen um and he's definitely like key you know throw everything at him as being a bad example of a queer coded villain Mm -hmm. um I do think coming from a uh, a queer director and wanting to exist in through this ban, Mm. um, one of the only reasons you could get a only way you could get a character so overtly gay Mm. is by making them the villain, making them a kind of a monster that you're supposed to hate. Where um, I think queer coding is problem. Damn it, that's another quid in the jar. <laughs> ding. Ding. Um, is where queer coding has continued to be used to signify villainy in a post haze Code era. And I find it especially unpleasant in children's movies. Like yeah. Disney, Disney, Disney. You have a bad track record with this. Uh, 
think, uh, but yeah, these queer traits and villainy become synonym synonymous with each other. Uh, think about uh, Scar or Jafar or Governor Brackcliffe oh, yeah. in um, Pocahontas with his shiny gold cape and his little pug. And even Ursula, who is both a butch lesbian um, visual, but when they try to defend that, said, oh no, she's based on a drag queen um, divine, mm. who, if you look up, is basically Ursula. Mm -hmm. um, either way, it, the villains we want to code as other for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, I think nowadays we think of villains being more the um, the the one percent or whatever the the um, the the establishment. Mm. What's uh, interesting when you think about this is probably a topic for another time because that's not the focus of this episode. But the queer coded villains are frequently the most popular character. Yeah, and it's on because they're so iconic in their lines. But you also have got to wonder as queer people if we latch on to these villains because they are the only representation we get but also they are they generally do have the best sort of lines i mean i adore ursula i think she's an amazing character um it's kind of interesting i've often um in the past i've said of judge claude frollo as being mm. a non-queer coded character but he is even though his whole plot is based around wanting um, Esmeralda, mm. his character trait is being at conflict with his sexuality and not being able to... Uh, act upon it. Act upon it. Yeah. And it's... it's. I don't necessarily think Disney is twiddling its thumbs thinking, mm, how can we sort of destroy the gays today? Yeah. I think it's... It's this, yeah, there's this insidious thing that's just crept into how people grow up thinking what a villain is. Yeah, I, I saw this... Um, uh, also, Hades from Hercules is hmm. similar. I actually saw a really good video from um, uh, Shay Lindsay on on YouTube. Uh, is are Disney villains going extinct? Because when you think about the most recent Disney ones, there's no sort of true iconic villain per se. No, there isn't a singular strong antagonistic figure, which I found a really interesting point. We, I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen uh, in future movies, but. It's one of the things I love about Studio Ghibli films mm. is that they, um, instead of having a villain, they'll have someone who the character, the main character... Is in opposition. In, is in opposition with. And often at the end of the film is just one of the gang. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about villains no, today. we're talking about queer baiting, which is um, a much more recent phenomenon. We're in an age post the celluloid closet where we can and sh can have queer characters... Uh, queer representation, creators are still in the habit of benefiting from this queer coding phenomena without having the responsibility of writing good representation. And what, for me, is a more unpleasant uh, aspect of it is it's a marketing ploy. We mentioned at the top, uh, it makes this promise uh, to draw in quote, queer, liberal audiences go, look, we have a character for you. We have this relationship for you. And by never delivering on it, um, they preserve their, quote, straight slash homophobic audience. It's like having your cake and eating it too. But by it's like, that is queer baiting. Here is the hook. Here, give queer people, look, 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 this is for you. This is for you. Come on, for other thing, for other thing. And there's no payoff. I think one of the problems comes from the fact that um, 
shows can have quite different audiences, mm-hmm. um, and they ha- they have a very low opinion of both, like all of the audiences. Yeah, they think that um, you know the nerdy geeks will kind of lap up anything mm-hmm. um, and support it no matter what, and keep buying all the things. Um, and they also have this view of the casuals, big quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, as being all sort of homophobic idiots. Yeah. Um, they always think they have to sort of dumb everything down and make it as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I won't say research, but uh, <laughs> anecdotal evidence on my part yeah. is that all audiences like seeing things they don't see often. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, And I do think... <sighs> While there's latent homophobia internalised in all of us, and while there's a lot of homophobic people in the world, I think the idea that people will instantly... um, Switch off, tune out, burn the book. Star Wars, ultimately, is not going to lose money for having some gay characters in there, canonically. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel it's even... The defence of big franchises is always, oh, but it's so big it's going to you know, so many people are going to see it, is weak because those big franchises can take a few hits. Yeah. Um, One of the things I want to talk about is not knowing where to shift the blame. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like fans blame the writers who blame, even if it's not overtly, the studios. Or the showrunners. Or the showrunners. They'll they'll say, oh, we can't really do that because of that. And the studios are blaming... And when I say blaming, I'm not saying they're pointing the finger. I'm saying there's this implied blame. Mm-hmm. Um, they're blaming both sort of the homophobic audiences they seem to sort of know a lot about. And, um, you know, all these companies have old white men behind them with tons of money somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think because we don't talk about it enough. Yeah. And we don't take it seriously as a problem. Mm-hmm. Um this kind of invisible blame shifting will just keep happening. And mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I write some stuff. I'm getting more into this whole world and I get, I, I get why things can't be done. Yeah. But I wonder if how many people I'd have to go through getting up until I found someone who actually had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone thinks they have a problem with it on behalf of someone else who will have a problem with it. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. But um, I suppose we should get into some examples of queer baiting. That um, when you hear the term queer baiting, uh, what springs to mind uh, for you? Throw an example out. To I me, say throw an example out. Well, this is probably what we're going to talk about for a good chunk of time now. Yeah, there's two things that spring to mind, which is Sherlock and Supernatural. Mm-hmm. I have not watched anything beyond like the first half of the season of <coughs> Supernatural. <coughs> I haven't watched any of it, but uh, Tumblr's a great osmosis for learning stuff yes. about Supernatural. Um, I have seen every episode of Sherlock. Doing better than me. I missed the last two episodes. <laughs> um, whew. Big topic. Yeah, uh, we are probably going to do uh, an episode devoted to BBC's Sherlock at some point in the future. When, so. we, set, when we started this episode talking about how there's... Um, uh, Oh, the explicit joking. There's explicit... No um, homo. ...implied and external. Mm-hmm. Sherlock does seem to have all of it. Yeah. So you have... 
Um, you have the obvious, like, the, so, the show starts, the first episode has two jokes about, oh, they're a couple, aren't they? Um, again, which just doesn't ring true. I know I was just defending the world as being not as homophobic as it really is, but, like, people don't want to talk about other people's sexuality. No one wants to assume you're gay. Yeah, which um, in itself is... It's bad, but it, it, to uh, most that's people... That's heteronormativity. Yeah, to most people, that's an insult. Yeah. Um, the risk of... You are trying to insult people when you say that. Yeah, the, well, sort of the risk of accidentally thinking a homophobe is gay yeah. is too high yes. to suggest it. But um, both the guy at the restaurant they sit at and Mrs. Hudson mm-hmm. both assume it. Um Played as like a gentle joke I could ignore, but it kind of like is the founding basis of like how people see them. Yes. And when you do it two times in an episode, mm. you are sending out the message that this is a show where these two have such a close relationship that everyone, no matter where they come from or what kind of person they are, are going to assume they're a couple. Mm. So then to go and behave Stephen Moffat has a bit of an... Uh, I, I've defended him before as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a bit of a reputation with interactions with fans about this topic. Mm-hmm. So to write in your first episode, everyone assumes they're a couple. And then to respond to fans who assume they're a couple in such a kind of... How are you reading it that way? It's just about two men who solve crimes yeah. kind of way is so rude, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dismissive as well for people who want to see that representation mm. just go I don't know how on earth you can see such a thing it does smack of it's hurtful yeah um, the the Sherlock phenomenon I'm going to mention um, for people who know about it the John Locke conspiracy I don't this is something that I want to give a respectful discussion to because like any aspect of any fandom, there are ex- there are people who take a very extreme view. But due to, despite the fact that within text and um, outside of it, the creators stressed this was never going to be a romantic relationship. People felt that it was being teased. It was an underlying thing that it was waiting for a payoff or a reveal and what's frustrating is that we talked about this ambiguous comments about people trying to have their cake and eat it too the hope of having an openly gay co-creator and writer thoughts or maybe they're just uh teasing us along and there is going to be this reveal um (sighs) they're the most explicit example i can think of of intentional teasing yeah because I do, I mean, it's part of the reason why one would love Moffat. He is a bit of a tease. Mm-hmm. He does love to sort of play with audiences. Yeah. Um, the trailer for this series was great, like big, like, shocking secrets revealed, mm. ending with Sherlock saying, I love you to camera. Mm. They knew how certain people would read that. Yeah. And the series that is queer baiting. That is intentional queer baiting. <coughs> um, and an example of how much they have a, a kind of a 
uh, dismissive and low opinion of people that ship it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they think. They just think it's shipping and yeah. they want their little shit to happen when um, they like write characters. I feel like Sherlock Holmes is coded <laughs> to be queer. Mm. <clears throat> um, an example is that, and this happens in Supernatural, but I don't actually, I haven't seen the episode. Yeah. They in- spend time in the show mocking fans. Yes. There is a scene in um, uh, the first episode after Sherlock fakes his death. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have a bunch of people trying to work out theories of how he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a person, who, an actress I really love. It's Shannon Rooney, isn't it? Yeah. But you know why they cast her. Yes. Um, to be a... A, a Sherlock Moriarty shipper. A Sherlock Moriarty shipper. There's a scene when Sherlock and Moriarty, in her recounting of how it all happened, are about to kiss, cut to people dismissing that as silly speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... I just... I I don't know what they thought viewers would think of that. Yeah. And um, um, my understanding... With Supernatural. And Supernatural has always been really interesting because within the universe of Supernatural, there is Supernatural books. There is <laughs> yeah. an author who writes about these two brothers who are demon hunters and there are fans of those books. And I love it's, metal I, stuff. I've got to say, I find that to be very interesting. But at one point they go to a convention <laughs> and that whole concept, uh, uh, the popular is um, Destiel. Mm. Um, and people that sort of laugh off is ridiculous. Whereas a lot of the writing choice and the performance choices for Dean Winchester would lend quite an easy person to read him as a bisexual character. Yeah. I don't know for certain if he's ever explicitly said, no, Dean is straight, which is possible. I believe it may have been said, but you cannot ignore one, the chemistry between the actors, or I say you cannot fault people for looking at the way that is written, the way it is acted, for people to come away and go, well, I see that. And for people to look, for to immediately turn around and dismiss that, you're making it up, you're seeing what you want to see. Supernatural's a weird one because it has gone on so long and I feel like it's... It knows it needs to keep its fans. Mm. And it's one of these examples where I think there is a massive queer, or at least, uh, you know, wanting queer relationship fandom i assume there's probably some kind of assumed straight male horror fan audience mm-hmm. um and them trying to make sure is there both... though is there i don't think so anymore i don't think anymore so they've they've got this fandom and it's queer baiting even if they're doing it subconsciously mm. has allowed them to continue for so long and they want to keep continuing mm-hmm. um and we were talking about uh so I don't know the details. The uh, the right one of the writers did a Q and A. Yeah. On Twitter, and someone mm. directly asked about this problem, this issue, mm. and he responded in a way which I see a lot mm. from people who think it's the smart, like progressive way to think. Yeah. But really isn't. Which is well, I don't like to label them because it's so great that so many people read them how they want to read, and so much more. Uh, use like great to have someone that can be what you want them to be, um, which doesn't help. It's such a non-committal 
have your cake and eat it too kind of response. Well, I appreciate that maybe that writer was trying not to be dismissive. It came across as condescending. Yeah. She's like, oh, no, no, you, you, you imagine what you were like and that's a valid interpretation. That's what you do. And one of the problems is that both of these shows have had queer characters. It's not that these shows... It's not like you can't put queer characters on these shows. It's mm. that you can't make them the main characters. You can't make them the heroes. Yeah. We can't possibly Heaven have... forbid we have a gay lead. And what's so frustrating is that any show with a male and female lead, the plot is will they, won't they. Mm-hmm. And so many shows which have a same sex or same gender lead... It's so it's natural storytelling For to that have will they won't they to have will they won't they that's it's so like ingrained in us mm-hmm. but this is how you when make you have it. a close relationship between your two leads yeah who we see all of the time together it, their relationship is usually the driving force uh, Mulder and Scully yeah I I always think of Mulder and Scully if Mulder and Scully were two men or two women. Mm-hmm people would be reading it. There would be still people thinking, well, they won't, they, but it wouldn't happen. Mm. Um, and I say, if one of the ways to identify queer baiting is change the gender of one of the characters, how would people be talking about the show? Mm-hmm. If What's quite interesting yeah. is elementary, yes. where they do change the gender of one of the leads, mm-hmm. and people, it's very specific and avert that they are friends yeah so it is possible to write these things and make it and remove that will they won't they question yeah so if but if in bbc sherlock Mm -hmm. watson was a woman yeah um you can't it would be a love story it would be Mm. uh, you know it would be this intense friendship and these shows have like breakup storylines yes and like uh, getting back with each other storylines and taking it to the next level. Can I say spoilers for Sherlock? Yes, I think spoilers for Sherlock. Again, everyone that cares has watched it. Um, they haven't yet confirmed if the last series was the last series. Mm-hmm. I think they're leaving it open or wanting Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman to actually have some available yeah. time. Um, but one of the last few shots of Sherlock mm-hmm. so far is Sherlock and John holding a baby together in their fireplace with, like, their laughing friends around them and them being dressed more casually than ever before and living together as, like, a happy just-friends thing. Yeah. And I think part of it is that these writers, I think you mentioned it earlier, these writers don't want the responsibility of actually having to write gay or queer or bisexual characters Mm -hmm. because that means actual work and research and actually having to represent people and not having to misstep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose to move on from Sherlock (laughs) and Zoopdrop, another BBC property, um, Merlin, which Hamish and I were both big fans of back in the day. yeah. It's a really fun show. And weirdly, I don't exactly know why I feel different about it, even though it does have some of the same queer-baity issues. 
that's interesting. May, partly it may be because it was aimed at a different audience. It's like a family show rather than yeah. an adult show, maybe because we were younger. I think that's probably true. Um, I feel like... So I do have a quote from um, Julian Jones, who created it. Yeah. Who, when the show ended, he said it was a love story between two men. Which is a slightly different way of talking about it than the other creators we've talked about. Yeah. Supernatural and Sherlock. Um, I was thinking just now that if you... The thing with something like Sherlock or the Arthurian legend... Yes. They're so established... Yes. ...that if you want to make Arthur and Merlin a couple or Sherlock and Watson a couple, you are then writing the gay version of Sherlock or the gay version of um, King Arthur. And... That's cool and valid, and I'd watch the hell out of that. Yes. But um, Sherlock is the modern version of Sherlock, mm-hmm. um, and it's the... I don't think necessarily they wanted to be known as that Yes. for bad home repair reasons, but like, I also think with Merlin there's a bit more fun. They never... No one in that show is ever saying... Oh, don't worry, we're not a couple. Yeah. I don't actually remember a single there a couple joke because it's set in a time when people definitely wouldn't assume that. Yes. Um we were saying a similar thing together about the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock yes. Watson things. That they're they're a bit queer baity, but there's a different vibe. Mm. It feels like with Sherlock and Supernatural, they kind of want people to ship it, but kind of not, because then yeah. it's a bit of a We difficult... want you to ship it, but we aren't don't want you to expect it to happen. Whereas the Sherlock movies and Merlin have a kind of like, sure, let's do it. It's a, it's a, they're a couple. Yeah, this is, yeah. No one's denying it. Yes, I think that maybe is the important part. I mean, also, for example, uh, we were talking about these strong relationships, the chemistry between the actors, between uh, Colin Morgan and Bradley James in Merlin, between Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law in um, Sherlock Holmes and uh, Game of Shadows. There is this, energy between them this wonderful chemistry both on screen and off screen you see the behind the scenes stuff and you can tell that this on-screen relationship is so very informed by this off-screen relationship and there's a level of comfort and friendship that you can't help but not bleed into the performances i don't mean to be negative about the acting per se but like for example in merlin while I do feel that it was well written, when your two male leads have more chemistry with each other than they do with their female love interests, that's not necessarily a fault of the writing. Sometimes it's just a thing that happens. There's a thing that happens in fandom where people get very upset how dismissive people are of female characters. Yes. I agree. Yes, no, God, it's a significant problem. But (coughs) the reason people ship male characters together and a dismissive of female characters isn't just because people hate women. I think it's also because male characters, writers seem to take some actual time with trying to yeah. make us believe their relationship. Yes. Whereas man and woman in the same room... They're expected to. It's implied that they love each other. There's so many love interests and things where I just do not get why they're a couple. Um, it's a bit... Heteronormativity. <laughs> I know. It's, it's really bad. And like... There has been suggestions that sometimes um, 
in order to combat the queer baiting, or yeah. combat the the queer shipping. Let let's slam a female love interest up against our male lead. Yeah, Cause, and like because bisexuality like, is not a thing. I always like these female characters. Yeah, I just sometimes feel the writers don't that they're just like a tool to. AKA Mary Marston in yeah. Sherlock. I think she's a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she's well written. I, it, but she's such a, a tool. She's there to... To be a plot device, to be an obstacle, Yeah, to be whatever and the... In queerbaiting terms, if if this was a love story, she is there to be the season three distraction to break up the perfect relationship. You see it in every show. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking recently when like the very first... One of the very first ships mm-hmm. is Kirk and Spock. Yes. And when they made the movies, Spock's now with Uhura, mm-hmm. a character I love. Yes. A, char- a relationship I think is quite interesting. Yes. But I think it's done to... Negate that. Otherwise it's too gay. When everyone knows the true IT3 of Star Trek, the original series, <laughs> is Kirk, Spock, Bones. Yeah, I mean... We know this. You know this. You can tell when writers when there's someone saying, mm, this film's a bit too gay. Um, Better add a lady. Yeah, I, recently I felt it a little bit in Civil War with Sharon Carter, where yeah. this, objectively, this is a film about a man breaking the law and destroying all of his like jobs and friendships because of his, his love of a man. Yeah. Um, regardless of how you perceive that relationship yeah. to be, and regardless of what what Steve love, loves Bucky, this is a known fact. Yeah. He Everyone turns his knows. life upside down for this Marvel man. knows. Marvel knows it. Marvel did that weird Thor video when he... Um, I, I don't know. But Marvel knows. Yeah, they, they know. And They know. So that's why I think these female characters just plonked in to die down the queerbaiting a little bit. Um, get a little bit kind of discarded by fandom because we know... They're not full characters, which is sad. Yeah. And this does also happen with shows uh, with women. So uh, uh, another example of queer baiting, I feel, um, was in Agent Carter. Uh-huh. When Still haven't watched it. I'm a terrible person. That's fine. And I actually don't think it's as good as I wanted it to be. All right. Um, but one of the, the key thing people talked about was that Peggy, uh, sorry, Agent Carter has... Um, I think you can call her Peggy. Yeah, Peg, I just didn't know. So Agent Carter has her closest friendship in the show is with Angie, the girl who works at the diner. Mm-hmm. It is so clear, whatever Agent Carter's uh, sexuality, mm-hmm. that Angie is in love with Peggy. There are shots when Peggy goes off and leaves the diner and gets into a car with a guy. She looks Angie looks out with a kind of a wistful sadness and the those theatrical types man yeah the 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 plot of the show is um and also Agent Carter lives in a um a woman's dormitory yeah a kind of a a, it's a boarding house isn't it like a boarding house for women and um they make little implied jokes about you know the gay districts of New York and Mm -hmm. um the show series one ends with Angie and Peggy moving in together into an apartment. And it was shipped to yeah. hell. It was it was one of the big ships of that year. Mm-hmm. Season two comes around. Angie's not in it at all. 
Exactly. Doesn't she pop up once in a dream sequence? She pops up once in a dream sequence. A musical. Is it a musical sequence? Yeah. Um, and, ah, oh, that's just so annoying. Like, not even in terms of a, a queer baiting aspect. Like, you remove Peggy's Confident. best friend. Yeah. Um, seemingly uh, for no reason. And I think this is doubly frustrating for me. Um, as I said, I haven't watched it, but knowing what they do, when there is a great moment, um, one could argue it is queer baiting. I feel less so, maybe because the car- uh, creators didn't comment on it, but where there's conversation between Peggy and Howard Stark about Steve, and mm. both of their feelings about Steve are framed in the same light and given the same weight. And that, for me, is a positive example that maybe could be misread by people not wanting to see that. But for me, I feel that is good writing. Mm. And they're not trying to hold it up and going, look at this queer representation, look at this thing that I did. But rather as a subtlety to that that I do appreciate in writing. Uh, Do I want explicit representation? Yes. Do I find that sort of implicit representation interesting? Yes. Yeah, and I just, I mean, part of the problem with Agent Carter is that um, I think up until an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. and then Jessica Jones, since Iron Man, this whole cinematic universe of TV shows and everything had had no LGBT representation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a joke in one of the one-shot things implies male prison sexual oh things. yay How um, which some, which is technically their first ever hint um spectacular of, work, i think it's his name justin hammer the uh, oh yeah 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 yeah. is it sam rock sam Rockwell, well, in yeah. iron man 2 his character talk, has like a prison boyfriend right which i actually think is kind of cute but like it's like the lafoo things like that shouldn't be your first disney yeah um <coughs> I think because like Agent like Agent Carter, it was just even though it's its own separate thing, it is part of this whole bigger thing. And every film that comes out, every show that comes out with no representation, gets more and more weird. Yeah. Um, I feel that maybe while we're talking about queer baiting and examples of of maybe a couple of instances where people have cried queer baiting, but it's not. Yes. Did we want to? Do we want to talk about maybe one of your fave topics? Uh, Always sunny. Yeah, my um, my bad, my naughty child. That is, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, my problematic fave Dink. coin in the problematic jar. Well, I think we should actually start the uh, we'll, we'll the problematic and a couple of other words, and we'll get a jar going. <laughs> yeah, and we'll donate it to our favorite queer charities. Yeah. Um. Or a favourite problematic charities. <laughs> Ding! Um, uh, yeah, so it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I talk about it a lot. It's a show that definitely has several different fan bases. Um, there's a... It's kind of... Began seemingly externally as a kind of a dude broy, offensive humour sitcom. Um, but over time it's become clear their intentions from the start and more overtly in recent series... Um, it's a huge subversion and in a good way, not just racist joke, don't worry, it's ironic, it's parody, it's satire. They are um, bad people who do bad decisions and make bad choices who we are supposed to learn from. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is 
um, throughout the entire series, has there's been this ongoing joke, I will say, about one of the characters' sexuality, uh, Mac, who... Um, it's been sometimes very clear to me the joke is he doesn't realise it's very obvious and that his friends don't care, but he really thinks they do. Which is a subtle joke to play and often teeters on it's funny because he's gay. Yeah. Um, but there are still so many people saying, oh, he's not really gay. Um, it's just the joke is everything he does looks gay from an outside perspective. Yeah. Um, despite the fact the creators have said none of the main characters are straight. Um, that's a quote that comes from an interview that seems a little bit jovial, but the actor of the character who is also the creator of the show said, Mac is gay. I am playing a gay character. And everything he said about his sexuality has been very clear and concrete. And still, but what I found interesting is that he was playing a character in the closet, mm-hmm. which you don't get many of. Especially characters who are in the closet and approaching 40. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least he was playing a character who's in the closet. Or he was. In an episode of the most recent series, he comes out. Whoop, whoop. And I thought that was... I, my whole watching of the show has been the one thing I want to happen. I didn't realise how great every episode after he's out would be and how well they handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've replaced the joke... Because each character has, like, a few jokes that are associated with them. Yeah. Like any sitcom. Um, they've replaced Max, it's so obvious he's gay, but he doesn't think anyone can tell, joke, with he's in love with his best friend, and he thinks it's not obvious, but it really is. I was going to say, isn't there also a touch of the... I don't know, I haven't seen you'd have to tell me, but, you know, there's that whole thing going around of... If you're a gay person, something doesn't go your way. That's homophobic. There's kind of that. He keeps, <laughs> like, keeps blaming. There's a line in the most one of the recent recent episodes where he says, "Dennis is acting really strange around me, and I think it's because I'm gay." And um, Charlie says, "I don't think that's it because he's known that for a really long time. It's like a really recent thing. This acting strange around you has been." Yeah. Um, and then Max's like, I don't understand how that could possibly be a thing he knows. <laughs> like, they're still playing off it a bit, but yeah. it's so obvious it's coming from a place of silly, heightened, non... It's a sitcom. It's a sitcom. Um, I feel very safe watching it for that aspect. Yeah. Um, they still get things wrong. They still don't make certain things very clear, their stance, mm. but... But also the creators own up to it. Which I appreciate. They yeah. they take on the criticisms and they work on them. The reason why he came out is that in the previous series he came out and then went back in the closet because mm-hmm. um, he thought he was going to die and then he didn't. Um, and they realized they they listened to people's comp- like fears that it was queer baiting and wrong. And yeah, they, they said they didn't realize how much it would mean to people because it mm. is a silly sitcom. Yeah, they're about not awful, really supposed, about awful people. You're not really supposed to care about these characters, but again, the, his his sexuality is the thing that kind of humanizes him. It's the one thing you can yes. cling to and say that that's he's a good person under all of this. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere, um, a tiny nugget. Another show I'm going to talk about very briefly, but another a sitcom did a similar thing with Peep Show, all right. but no one was really saying it was queer baiting. No one was really thinking he was gay. Yeah, they just in the final season and not like the final episode or moment. Um, his plot in the final season very, very casually was him realising he was bisexual and dating a man. And 
no one was asking for it. No one's expecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't out of nowhere. It wasn't a character change. Yeah. So you don't like uh, you don't your show doesn't suddenly become the gay show for gays if you just think how a different sexuality might make sense with this character. Yeah. Um, one show currently airing that's getting a lot of accusations of queer baiting that we feel isn't is Riverdale. Uh, Hamish and I will freely admit we are fans. <laughs> yes. We say freely. <laughs> nobody's <laughs> nobody's here. I from read the, the room before. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 there's nobody here from the CW pointing a gun. No. Um, but in the first episode, um, and widely used in their publicity material was a kiss between Betty and Veronica. Um, <coughs> and when we came to the... Now, I'd like to point out, I was not up in the fandom for this. So for me, it didn't really sort of come across my radar until afterwards. But within the episode, the moment that it's happened and the context that it's given, it is immediately called out by another character. It's like, oh, two girls kissing. This is like, this isn't the mid-90s. This is not shocking. And it's immediately called out. Um, hey, yeah, is it still queer baiting if it's called out? If it's a joke about queer baiting, and I mean the whole lesbian uh, lesbians kiss or the sweeps week lesbian kiss is a long established phenomenon. Yeah, and the the whole thing about is it still trying to have your cake and eat it too if you have two girls kiss and then call them, call them out for it as a you're doing this to be shocking and provocative but you then heavily use that in your advertising to be shocking and provocative. Yeah, it's like, I, I think a distinction can be made where something can still be bad and homophobic and wrong and a misstep and poor writing and not necessarily queer baiting. Mm-hmm. Queer baiting is just a term for a very specific phenomenon. Yeah. Um. I don't think every time two same gender same gender straight characters hopefully you get the in, the tone of my voice there um every time they kiss that's not necessarily queer baiting mm-hmm. Saturday night live has this bad habit of the joke is that same gender people kiss yeah so many of their sketches that's all the joke that is cuz people still seem to think that's a shocking comedy yeah. image I got a bit grumpy on twitter recently when you grumpy on Twitter, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, when LGBT magazines were praising the kiss between um, Andrew Garfield and Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds at the Golden Globes, Golden Tony? Globes. No, not Tony's. It was one of the acting awards. One of the acting awards. I don't think they're homophobic or bad people at all. Um, but the they did it for fun, for comedy. They they can say that they. You know, they did it because I do think kissing should be seen as like a less, uh, you know, romantic, strict thing. But see, I don't. Nec- I didn't necessarily read it that way, and I think part of that is because of how I have seen Andrew Garfield talk in yeah. the past. While I appreciate what I've, while I appreciate the anger you are feeling, and I'm not trying to dismiss it as out of place. For me, they were off cam- off the main cameras. I felt that that was maybe a fun moment for the two of them. I don't yes. think it was playing it up. It might have been for the people in their direct vicinity, just like playing it up. But for me, that came across as a, 
a silly little fun moment between friends who care about each other and are physically affectionate. That's I read it that way. That's how I read it. I read it that way for them. I was kind of just a bit tired of the response. Bon. That People I People thinking it was funny or exciting or lovely or... I don't know, I just... I, I do like people saying what a nice moment of intimacy between two men not being played off as weird. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just... I. I have never kissed my partner in public, but I see straight people do it all the time. Mm-hmm. I see straight men hold hands a bit for a joke, whereas yeah. I'm too frightened to with my husband. Yeah. So that's just my response when yeah. I see people that I feel like mm-hmm. that. No, I, I, I understand that. But it's not necessarily queer baiting. That's true. No one's reading that and thinking yeah. they're trying to yeah. suggest their and sexuality. Andrew Garfield gets a bit of this lot like... I think Andrew Garfield is one of these people that have a lot of chem- has a lot of chemistry with people because him and Dev Patel standing next to each other at the Oscars made a very pleasant image and everyone's like, I want them to play boyfriends. Like, I would also like them to play boyfriends because, yes. <laughs> I want all of these boyfriend movies that Dumbledore suggested. Yeah, I also really like a uh, fair work I saw that had Dev Patel as Sherlock and um, Riz Ahmed as Watson. Mm. And I'm like, let me give me money. I will throw <laughs> some money. But, uh, so back to Rivertale, Riverdale. Um, one, I think it's had accusations of being homophobic because of the portrayal of Kevin. And it's just like Kevin Keller. And it's just like, this is slightly moving off queer baiting. But it's also just like, no, he is a out character. Just because you don't like how a gay character or a queer character is being portrayed doesn't make it queer baity or Again, homophobic. I've, it might make it bad writing. I think I've been getting a little bit... I used to be very like... LGBT, LGBT, everyone together, everyone has the same views, we should all look out for each other. But recently I've just seen so many, like, posts from young, I will say, and... Still learning. And still learning, and smart, and will learn. um, Queer people who aren't necessarily gay men... Yes. ...saying things are bad because they're behaving like gay men behave and I don't like it. Yeah. And it makes me sad. And, like, I always want more variety in gay characters... But just because a character is a, is camp and has uh, hookups with men, mm-hmm. that's not that's bad not homophobic bad. writing. I think it's pretty honest. And, yeah. you know, I want more variety. Mm. There's a lot to talk about with Riverdale. <laughs> we may talk about Riverdale in, in more depth because we're actually really enjoying it. And But it also seems to be a very... Uh, we're we're going to be doing an upcoming episode on uh, guilty pleasures. Yes, and we're going to be talking about Riverdale there. It's very divisive. Yes, people really hate it or quite re- like it. Yeah, <laughs> so um, we haven't. We're we're avoiding Jughead because we'll talk about that. Jughead, we'll talk about more later. Um, I wanted to very briefly say about queer baiting that in anime and manga, mm-hmm. it's kind of epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of their bread and butter. And I think because it's media from another country and because it's its all own thing, people don't really want to talk about it or don't think they can. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can. I don't watch enough. Mm. But just from my experience, I have gone through so many people who have said, oh my God, you watch th- please watch this. It's so gay. And I watch it and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just queer baiting. Unlike you, you're nice. Yes, Yuri on Ice is... I mean, there's still elements of it. And but. it's still hard to, like... Again, you know, wrap your head around different culture and a different um, intentions. But it's still... It, 
it's not trying to deny it in the sense the yeah. way that this is about a cu- they do come together yes they're the relationship of the show um but uh, having rabbited on about some uh, specific examples um how do you go about writing intense friendships between uh same gender uh characters uh without getting accusations of queer baiting i mean i feel like it's a it's a thing because if you are trying to write a relationship that is was never had any intention to be romantic or sexual it's about intent I suppose. And while there are always going to be instances of people seeing what they want to see, I feel if you are pol- politely from the outset saying this is a- about a platonic relationship, we have not set out to portray a romantic or a sexual attraction here. If you see that, then yes, that's a thing. But it- please know that this was not... An- and it- It's not a case of going, no homo. It's literally about being honest about what your intentions are. I know there's a specific example you wanted to talk about, Hamish, with this. I feel like this is slightly different. Where So this is going to contain big, big spoilers for... Big, big spoilers. Um, a Studio Ghibli film called When Marnie Was There. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm giving a spoiler warning because this is the twist of the film. I do think it's still worth watching. Tune back in in two minutes if you haven't seen it yet and like to. The trailers for When Marnie Was There featured very heavily... Um, a very strong emotional bond between two girls. Um, the entire plot of the film is about this friendship. There's shots of them laughing and rolling around in the field together, telling, openly declaring their love for each other and how much they all miss each other. Um, and people said, oh my God, is this a gay Ghibli film? And they said, no, 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 it's not. And before the film came out, people were very disappointed by that. Again, it's a Japanese film, the cultural norm mores norms what's the word <laughs> mores of uh in japan i do think it's um uh, sort of quite intense friendships between girls is a lot more common a lot more represented in the media um so when they denied it people thought oh how disappointing but the twist of the film is that um one of them is the ghost of the other's grandmother yeah so they really didn't want people shipping this, um, very understandably. Yeah. Without giving away the twist. Yes. End of spoilers. End of spoilers. Um, Welcome back if you uh, <laughs> the, tune out for a moment. So that's kind of a, a weird little example in itself. Mm. Um, I just think as long as creators say, aren't, aren't rude, A, aren't rude. Or dismissive. Dismissive of the people seeing it. B, be very clear of these are straight characters and we want good friendships. It's very important to show male, male friendships and, and female, female friendships and all kinds of friendships. That's very important. Um, and also see, I think a way to not do this is to include great written, uh, queer relationships in your show. So people don't look for the representation they don't have in the things that you weren't intending to be that in the first place. And not necessarily dismissive of that relationship. Exactly. It is hard. Yeah, we're not saying writing is easy. But again, even though, you know, same gender friendships are important, I have never seen a show like Sherlock or something literally just take the plunge 
and just confirm it and make them gay. Um, Go full queer. Yeah. I have not seen Hannibal, but the fact that the fandom isn't angry at it leads me to believe it doesn't... There's a difference... Uh, Hannibal's its own thing, and I really should have put it on our list, about the difference between queer baiting and gay subtext. Because yeah. Brian Fuller has spoken loudly. Um, I believe Red Dragon 3 just happened and uh, Hugh Dancy confirmed a lot of what people were saying. But it was always very much the case they were never dismissive of the relationship. And how They've been very viewed. good to their fandom. They yes. treat them well. Uh, so. Hannibal is definitely an episode I would like to talk about more because it's got examples of a canon bisexual character. Ooh! <laughs> that's our other jar that one that jar would take on holiday yeah um, that's the good jar tragically there's less in it yeah um yeah just oh god just be nice to your fans be nice to your fans listen and listen to them don't be dictated by them but listen to their concerns learn from it yeah um even a show like always sunny which does the most problematic things can learn from Think. from queer fan critique mm-hmm. thank you in the jar um, you're welcome <laughs> um, and it'll it'll be a problem for a while yeah um, again as we accuse shows that mm. don't always intend it yeah I've got, I think the problem with it it's a hard issue to combat because as we said at the top of the episode it's sort of awkward to find where the blame lies for this kind of thing um, but I think what I suppose we've got to try and get across to creators is audiences aren't as homophobic as people like to claim, yes, there's this very, very vocal minority, but not every straight member of the audience is going to feel alienated by a queer storyline and stop watching it. And also queer characters are needed for straight yes, audiences. Yes, we, we've talked about this before. Yeah, they're not just for representation, they're for um, points of reference. Yeah. Um, and they're almost more valuable in order to change perception. Yes. Um, you normalise these characters because we are real and we exist. Um, but if you would like to know uh, more about queerbaiting, uh, we'd like to recommend Rowan Ellis's Queerbaiting 101 video on YouTube. In fact, all of Rowan's channel is really fucking good. Uh, she talks about media from the perspective of being a queer feminist and I've had the pleasure of being on a panel with her at a convention before and she's just very awesome and has a lot of intelligent stuff to say and does a much better job researching her topics than Hamish and I do. <laughs> We're just going to say what Hamish does. <laughs> no, I'm going to own up my own. Uh, we'll, try and get, we'll try and get her on. Yeah, no, we'd, we'd like to try and get Rowan in at some point. But um, until next time, um, that's what that, I'm jumping the gun. As always, we would like to thank uh, Graham Waller, Audio Overlord and Master of the Soundwaves for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. You can check out more of his work at GrahamWaller.com and his own podcast about sort of sound engineering and um, all that kind of music, that side of the music industry, um, The Mix Cave. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Please rate, view and subscribe on iTunes as it helps us out a bunch oh. and whatever your podcast Stitcher, app of Podbay, choice Stitcher, Podbay, whatever is. you like. Um, we, we like to know that you're listening because we don't get like figures and stuff. So share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Um, yes. Uh, we've got Twitters. <laughs> I'm hey, I'm at Hamish Steele. I'm at J Doctor Rose, and then of course there is the Box Not Included Twitter. 
And, um, We're also on Facebook and Tumblr, and we are boxnotincluded at gmail.com. Please send in questions and mini topics as for our regular No Box Box Pop episodes. Also, any topics you'd like to maybe see us or hear us expand a full episode about. Yes, we are uh, always uh, we have that. Yeah, no, we, you guys, we're making this for you guys to listen to, so... Even if you are a queer expert of something and yeah. might want to suggest yourself as a guest. Yeah, no. It's not lo- rude to do that. Yeah, um, no, please. We know we don't have many guests on um, due to the fact that we seem to fill a whole episode of us rambling. We're good at that. And uh, it's also a little bit tricky to organise, but we can do it and it'll be fun. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but until next time, I'm Jade Rose. And I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anyone box you in. Mm-hmm.